Once more, welcome everyone to worship. Uh, my name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church and I'm delighted to welcome you all, especially in the overflow this morning. We love you guys so much. Thank you for worshiping every single week with, with your whole hearts. Especially this morning, we want to say thank you to Aaron Talley, who has been leading worship in our overflow for some time now. One of the one of the functions of our overflow is to train new worship leaders, and, and Aaron had great gifts before he ever got here. I'm not saying that, but it's wonderful that he's been able to serve us and now go on to a worship music position at Blackjack Baptist Church in Franklin. So, Aaron, we love you. Let's all of us together thank Aaron Talley for serving our church. Uh, we love you, brother. Everyone open your Bibles today to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this is uh, still a, a message in the series entitled Red Letters from Now to Easter. We're simply trying to preach the words that Jesus said. If you have a red letter edition of Scripture, I'm talking about the, those words, those passages that appear in red letters, which indicates that these are the words that came straight from the mouth of, of Jesus. This morning, I want us to take a look at two different passages that deal with the same topic. So open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 verse 21, and then I'm going to flip back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, so uh, be ready to go with me. The common North American porcupine is a member of the rodent family. He or she has something like 30,000 spines or quills, sometimes called barbs, on their back. They are not capable of throwing their spines like, like we've always believed. That's sort of a myth. A porcupine cannot throw his spines at an enemy. However, the, those quills, those barbs, are very uh, easily detached, which means if, if they are attacked by an enemy or if an enemy gets close enough, those barbs do very, very easily prick the skin. And then they are designed that when they come in contact with body heat, they begin to swell and pull that quill deeper into the tissue. They have this ability to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Very typically, those quills cause very serious infections. The wound will fester. Often, they even afflict vital organs, which means if you're attacked by a porcupine, it can be a fatal, fatal experience for you. A group of porcupines is called, wait for it, a prickle. However, no one has ever seen a prickle because porcupines are solitary animals for obvious reasons. A porcupine is a solitary animal for an obvious reason. Now, once a year, once a year, porcupines do sort of get their minds on love. Once a year. And during that time, they want very desperately to get close, but porcupines have a dilemma Porcupines cannot get close without hurting one another. That's the porcupine's dilemma. And honestly, that's our dilemma as well. You see, you don't want to think about this, but you are the porcupine in somebody's life. Don't, don't point at anybody right now. You are the porcupine in somebody's life. All of us, for the most part, we try to keep our barbs to ourselves. We try to keep our quills to ourselves. But we just simply cannot get close to one another without hurting one another. It is not just the porcupine's dilemma. It is the human 
dilemma, and Jesus knows all about it. And if you've been in church for very long, you know all about it too. Let's look and see what Jesus says. First in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, red letters. Now Jesus always goes beyond the outward and, and, and straight to the heart. So while the Pharisees, the Jews, had laws that often governed behavior, Jesus always gets past the outward behavior and goes straight to the heart. So notice how he does that here. You have heard that our ancestors were told, thou shalt not murder. Okay, where did they hear that? It's the law of Moses. It's the Ten Commandments. You've heard that our ancestors were told, thou shalt not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even, say the word, angry. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Notice Jesus goes beyond just whether or not you kill him. If you have that in your heart, you're subject to judgment. I, I say, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court, that the Sanhedrin, he says. And if you curse someone, if you give somebody the middle finger of fellowship, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, that's one passage of red letters. Now flip back to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus addresses this again in chapter 18. Again, red letters. So I want to treat these passages together today. Here we go. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. You've won your brother, the scripture says. But if you're unsuccessful... Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen and take your cause to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Red letter. Do something with me. Turn back to Matthew 16. It's just one page back. Matthew 16, verse 18. I just want to call your attention to this verse. These are red letters too. Matthew 16, 18 is a place where Jesus says, uh, Upon this rock I will build my, say the word, church. Upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 18 is the very first place in all the Bible, and all of Scripture, where the word church is mentioned, ecclesia. The word church is right there. And who says it? Jesus. It's the words of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is the very first place where the church is talked about. And in this instance, it's Jesus doing the talking, and he's talking in future tense. I will build my church. 
I, I will build my church. So understand, Jesus at this point is talking about the church, but the church doesn't even really exist yet. This is still in God's plan of salvation. It's what Jesus is going to build. He's going to build his church. First reference to uh, the church, first use of the word church. The second use of the word church is just about a, a two chapters over in Matthew chapter 18 in the passage that we just read. Once more, it's Jesus talking about the church because I remind you, the church doesn't exist yet. Jesus is talking about what he's going to build. So interesting. The first time Jesus mentions the church, he's telling them that he's going to build it and nothing will stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then the second time, the very next time he says the word church, he's talking about what? Church members going at it. And there's not even a church yet. Isn't that interesting? Why does Jesus do that? Now, you would think that, that he's trying in one way or the other to, to prepare people for the church, to help them understand what the church is going to be and, and how wonderful it's going to be. And you would think at this point that Jesus would be on some sort of PR campaign for the church. He would want everybody to get ready for the church. He would want people to anticipate how wonderful church is going to be. So if I were Jesus and I wanted to, to get people ready for the church, I would be saying, you guys are not going to believe the ski trips. You are not going to believe the ski trips and the lock-ins. You just wait for D now, people, D now. That's what I would do if I were Jesus. Oh, I'm going to build the church, and you're never going to believe the buildings. Let me say three words to you. Stained glass windows, people. Stained glass. I mean, if I were Jesus, I would be saying, I want to share something with you that you don't know about yet, but when the church is here, you're going to have potlucks. Potlucks, people. You can absolutely drown yourself in banana pudding, people. I think I would do that. If I wanted to prepare people for the church, if I were going to define their expectations, I think I would want to talk about all of the wonderful things that the church is going to represent in the world and all of the wonderful, wonderful benefits of being a part of the body of Christ in the world. I mean, if I were Jesus, those would be the red letters you would read. I would have the word potluck in red letters really quickly. But when Jesus defines expectations for the church, he says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won your brother, you've won your sister. If you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. The only, only way to understand this, the only way to explain why Jesus would immediately start talking about the church in this way simply means he wants you to expect this. If we're defining expectations for what it's going to mean to be in the body of Christ, what it's going to mean to be the church, 
then this is part of it. This is part of it. And when this sort of thing happens, you must not panic. You must not assume somehow that something unexpected is taking place. You must not even assume that something that's not supposed to happen is happening. This is part of church life. It's supposed to be part of church life. We're going to hurt each other. You see, it's the porcupine's dilemma. Every time we get close, we stab each other. It's unavoidable. It's, it, it's unavoidable. Now, this is because the church itself, our, our existence in the world right now, is, is, is sort of in a middle place. In other words, there are some things that have happened and some things that are going to happen, and we're sort of caught in the middle of that, and that makes our lives interesting. Now, when I talk about the middle, I'm talking about the middle of salvation history, the middle of God's great plan to, to save the world, and we're in the middle of that. Now, already, God has given us his word so that we know how to behave in the world. God has given us his word as our guide so we know what God expects of us. Already we understand that we are falling short. We always fall short of that standard. So that is why God has already sent his son, his son Jesus, to die on the cross, the sacrifice for our sins. He has paid the price for our sin. He has taken all of God's wrath upon himself so that we can know the grace and salvation of God. Already God has provided for our salvation. Praise the Lord. Already God has done that, and already God has sent his spirit into our hearts, which is to say God has given us everything we need to live a life of holiness, everything we need to do everything that God expects of us. We have, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you, which means you're without excuse. Without excuse. Anything that God asks of you, he's already provided in the spirit you with the strength, the guidance, everything you need for a life of holiness. So God has already provided us everything we need in the spirit, in the word, and in Christ. Everything we need for this life. However, however, God has not yet come and made everything new. God has not yet come and repaired everything that's broken in the world. And would you not agree with me that this world is tragically and painfully broken? It's broken. And the world is still so full of sin. The world is so much in its headlong rest toward rebelling against God. The world has not been made new yet. God has not eradicated all of sin yet. So we're caught in this middle place. We're caught in this middle place. We are the church that Christ himself is building. We are the church that Christ himself says that the gates of hell will not prevail against. We are that church. But we're still, we're still located in a very broken world. And even though we have the Holy Spirit and we are called to live lives of holiness, and even though every single day Christ is sanctifying me by his spirit and by the word, and every single day I pray I'm becoming more like Christ, I'm not altogether like Christ yet. I'm just not finished. I'm still in the middle of that process, and so are you. That means that I still struggle with sin. 
and so do you. That means that there is only one kind of church and only one kind of person that goes to church, and that would be the flawed kind of person, the the broken kind of person, the sinful kind of person. Christ is building his church out of people who are sinners because that's the only kind of people there are. If you don't believe me, just look down your pew. There's only one kind of person, and it is the sinful kind of person. See, we're caught in the middle of this. We're not yet what we're going to be, and we're not, praise God, what we used to be, but we are what we are, and we're still sinners. That means that I'm a sinner. You're in a church that is pastored by a sinful man, a forgiven man, a man that's trying every day to be the man Christ wants him to be, but I'm still flawed. Sin still has a way of spilling out of me. Church is led by a sinner, and it's inhabited by sinners. We're all sinners. We're all flawed and imperfect, and we're all broken. And that just simply means that there is no way that our brokenness, no way that our flaws, no way that our sinfulness is not going to be experienced by one another. I can't always keep my sin under control. I don't always have it together. And when I start to lose control, when I start to sort of fall apart before your very eyes, you're going to see my sin. And I'm going to see yours. It's going to affect me. This is just part of being in the church. It won't be part of being in heaven, and one day we'll get there, and there it's all going to be right, and it's all going to be perfect. But for now, we're never going to know anything like perfection with one another. You're going to see my sin. I'm going to experience your flaws. We're going to hurt each other. Every time we get close, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to see each other's sin. The longer you stay with me, the more of my sin you're going to see. So what does that mean? In those moments, in those episodes of our life together, when we start to see each other as we really are, when I begin to see something in you that, that is offensive, when I begin to see your sinful side, your selfish side, come out, when you begin to see my selfish side, when you begin to see your pastor get in the flesh, what are you supposed to do? And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to describe. It's going to happen. It's always going to happen. If you're looking for a church where this won't happen, good luck with that. That church does not exist. Now, you can move your membership as many times as you wish. You can just keep going church to church, street to street. You can start investigating churches out of state. I hear Oklahoma's got some good ones. But it doesn't have any perfect ones. Do you understand? When Jesus is setting the expectations for the church, he describes this kind of situation not once but twice. Not once, but twice. We're going to hurt each other. So what does that mean? Well, the way Jesus describes it, and please hang with me because you're not going to want to believe me here. You're going to want to find a loophole with this. But, but, but my hunch is I'm going to be right on this. Whenever you see 
sin in me or, or a flaw in me, whenever I hurt your feelings, whenever I offend you, or whenever you offend me, that is a moment for ministry. That's a ministry moment. Now, our problem is we tend to make that an anger moment. I tend to make that a moment when our friendship is broken. I tend to make that the moment when I decide that you go to the 11 o'clock service, I will go to the 8.30 service. You see, Jesus doesn't allow you to play that sort of game. He's sort of expecting you to be more of a mature believer in him and a little bit less like a third grade kid. No offense, third grade kids. These are ministry moments. At Woodburn, we define ministry as, as happening whenever needs are met. Ministry happens when needs are met. And when you begin to see my sin, when I begin to see your sin, and when I see it, I'll feel it. It'll probably be in one way or the other. It'll feel like it's directed toward me. You'll hurt me. You'll offend me. You'll say something wrong to me. I I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to fail to show up, and you're at the hospital for your colonoscopy. Sorry I missed that. Do it again, and I'll come. <laughs> We're just going to disappoint each other. And when that happens... It's just a very, very obvious moment where we see that we all have needs. I still have a need. I'm still being sanctified. I'm not perfect yet. Christ is doing that work in me, and when you see that in me, that's an opportunity for ministry. But we have to understand how to make that happen. So dig in with me. Matthew chapter 18 is where we'll go, verse 15. Let's just do one thing right from the start. New Living Translation translates that first word as if, if, and if is a fine translation as long as you understand that that same word also means whenever. Whenever. So you have my permission that when it says if there, you just go ahead and say whenever. Because this is not if. This is not if. Do you know us around here? It's not if we eventually get on your nerves. It's whenever. It's whenever. So here we go. Whenever another believer sins against you. Whenever. Step number one, we have to acknowledge the conflict. We have to acknowledge the conflict. Well, Brother Tim, you don't understand. In my family, we never, we didn't do confrontation. In my family, if somebody's mad, they just slammed the door and never came out. Well, I want to say this politely. This is not your family. And we've met your family, and they're all crazy. Your whole family's crazy. My whole family, you know my family, my whole family is crazy. Thank God, this is not my family. This is not your family. This is the family of God in Christ. And Christ says, whenever you have a problem, whenever another believer sins against you, do you understand? You have to acknowledge that. You cannot run from it. You can't avoid it. You can't try to act like it's not happening. Something very important is happening. As a matter of fact, something very, very important to Christ is broken. And Christ says it's worth fixing. Are you with me? If you are in a broken relationship with any other believer, any member of this church, you may think you can just avoid that person forever. Or you may think that you'll just keep that to yourself. But, but understand, if you try to keep that hatred in you, it always comes out. 
It always comes out. It comes out of you because it's in you. No, it comes out of me because people just make me mad. If everybody just stay out of my way, if people just wouldn't get on my nerves. Do you understand? It's not that people get on your nerves. This doesn't come out of you because people bring it out of you. It comes out of you, my friend, because it's in you. And because it's in you, this is something spiritual that you have to face. There are no options here. You're not the exception to Matthew chapter 18. Whatever is broken, whatever is standing between you and a brother and sister in Christ, Jesus says this is important. We're not going to throw that relationship away. It's worth fixing. It's worth fixing. Whenever another believer sins against you, go. Whenever another believer sins against you, go. It's really interesting. Go back to Matthew 5 with me for a moment. Fun with the Bible here. Go with me. Matthew 5, verse 23. We read this. I just want you to see how awesome this is. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. What? Somebody has something against you. What? Me? You. You understand? So here's the situation. You're coming to worship and suddenly you remember that somebody's mad at you. What? Me? Yes, you. They're mad. What? Yes, you. They're mad at you. Matthew chapter 5, when you realize they're mad at you, what are you supposed to do? Well, that's their problem. They're mad at me, that's their problem. They're just going to have to get over it. No, 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 no. When you get to the altar and you realize that someone is mad at you, what? Yes, you, they're mad at you. What do you do? Leave your sacrifice at the altar and go. Okay, when they're mad at you, what? Yes, you, you go. All right, now back to chapter 18. This is so good. Now, if another believer sins against you, that's right, this time they're wrong. Yes, them, they're wrong. Yes, them. Now, notice the situations. If you've sinned against them, what? Yes, you. If you've sinned against them, then you're supposed to go. You go to them. But. In the opposite situation, when you realize that they've sinned against you, yes, they've sinned against you, then what? Then you still go. You're looking for a loophole, ain't you? You won't find it. It is always your responsibility. When a relationship is broken, when someone is mad, It doesn't matter who the mad one is. You go. Well, Brother Tim, I'm not really comfortable with that sort of thing. I don't really do confrontation very well. Well, friend, let me just explain to you. Jesus doesn't ask you if you're comfortable with it. He says you go. You go. Confrontation is a very simple word. It has the word front in it. Front. And the word confrontation just means front to front. In other words, face to face. We deal with things face to face. The common North American porcupine is a member of the rodent family with 30,000 spikes on it, but all of its spikes are on its back. 
Porcupines on the front have what? Fur. Like your husband. Fur. Fur. That's why Jesus says we don't turn our backs on one another. When we turn our backs on one another, we hurt one another. We're going to handle things front to front. We're going to go face to face. I don't really do confrontation where you're going to have to learn. Because the way most people deal with confrontation, the way most people deal with problems in the church is wicked. It's sinful. Jesus only gives us one option, and that is, whoever's fault it is, you go to the person. Notice what Jesus says. Key word here, go privately. Privately. You go privately. You go to that person face-to-face. You don't like that, do you? You might think about going to them face-to-face, but before you go to them, you like to go to other people because there's something really delicious about that. I may just be mad enough to spit. I am so mad at my brother. I'm so mad at Warren, but before I go to Warren, I'll go to Matt and say, Matt, did you see what Warren did to me? Did you hear what Warren said to me? Now, why do I do that? Because Jesus specifically says, that's not how we do things. If you're mad at a brother, if you're mad at a sister, you don't go to somebody else. I would add, you don't even go to your wife. You don't even go home and talk about him to your husband. I know how much you love that because it feels so good to find somebody who will take your side. That is wonderful. That feels great. When I am mad, if I'm mad at this section, I want to try to get this whole section on my side. So when I go to this section, I got strength in numbers. Numbers are awesome. But Jesus says no. Jesus says no. The first person, the first person you talk to about your problem is the person you have the problem with. The first person, and in the best case, the only person. This is what Jesus says. You don't get to improvise on this. You don't get to be the exception. There's something wrong if everybody in the church knows that you've been mad at somebody since the 70s, but you've never made an effort to reconcile. There's something wrong with that, and you are in the wrong. How can I be in the wrong? She's mad at me. You're in the wrong because Jesus says you go. If she's mad at you, you go to her. You don't talk to everybody else. You understand? You talk to people, not about people. We talk to people, not about people. Whenever you talk about people, that is called the sin of, you can say it, it's gossip. When you talk about people, that's gossip, and that is sin. We talk to people, not about people. This is just basic. It's basic doing unto others what you would want them to do unto you. If I'm somehow messing up, if I've hurt your feelings, I want to know about that. And the last thing I want for you to do is go out through the church and start slandering me. And I promise you, if I've got a problem with you, I'm not going to go talk to the deacons first. I'm not going to go talk to my wife. 
My wife has to read things in the newsletter. I don't tell her nothing. Because I want to respect the members of our church. I want to respect all the people God brings into my life. And number one, I don't want people to talk about me like that. Let's just do unto others what we want them to do unto us. I don't want people talking about me. I don't want people running me down and criticizing me. If you need to criticize me, front to front, baby, face to face. That's what Jesus says. There's no other option. If you don't feel like you can go talk to that person, then you have to shut up. Excuse me. You have to shut up. You can't go talk to everybody else. You go privately and point out the offense. The words Jesus uses are literally are, are show them their flaw. Oh, everybody's going to love that. <laughs> show them their flaw. Wow. How do you do that? Why would I do that? Well, the thing is, I'm not too good at seeing my flaws. And neither are you. I'm just not good at it. I don't know, it's because I live inside my own skin and, and, and I'm so used to me that I don't even notice me. Maybe it's because I understand my motives and so sometimes understanding my motives, I misunderstand how I came across to you. I, I don't know. All I know is that you and I are no different. We don't see ourselves very well. We just don't. But we can see each other pretty well. And this is kind of why we need each other. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say in this church, God has exactly the people that you need in your life. Oh yeah, exactly the people. Maybe it's really not an accident that we're at this time at Woodburn Baptist Church together. Maybe this is the most amazing amalgamation of porcupines you've ever seen. What a Baptist prickle we got here. And maybe we're exactly, exactly the people that we all need in our lives. And maybe you really can see things in me that I can't see in myself. And in those moments when you see my selfishness, when you see my sin, when you see my failures, you need to come to me. You come straight to me and you do it privately first. And I'll do the same thing for you. We, we go to each other and we try to help each other see. Now, of course, this is delicate. Of course, it's sensitive. Not very many of us just are willing to just let people come and point out the flaws. But Jesus says this is how the church is supposed to operate. If I don't see my flaws very well, desperately, I need you to help me see. I need you to help me see how I fail because I don't want to fail. And I don't think you do either. See, this is the problem. Whenever we hurt each other, when we offend each other, we almost never mean to do that. It's not intentional. I don't set the alarm and get up early in the morning and figure out how to hurt your feelings. You understand? And when I say something that offends you, it's, it's, it's not personal. I don't mean to hurt you personally. And I would say all of us are the same way. Somebody sitting in your seat today, they didn't mean to sit in your seat. Come on, it's not personal. They didn't get up and decide to get to church early just to sit in, in Raiding Wren's seat. I see you got your own seat, brother. You got here early, didn't you? Yeah. We don't do these things on purpose. We don't do these things. It's not personal. You take things personally that aren't personal 
And therefore you get angry in a moment when it really should be more about ministry. If you just don't make it personal and don't make it about anger, then we can come together and point out the offense. And if the other person, magic word, listens. The other person listens. This is a part you and I never really managed to get. When we confront each other face-to-face, front-to-front, when we have these ministry moments, it's not about getting something said. You see, if I've got something to say to you, then I'm going to practice that over and over, and I'm going to get there, and it's going to be all about what I say to you. But, but really, it's not about what gets said. It's about getting something heard, and that's very different, very different. It's not about me getting something said, getting something off my chest. It's not about me feeling better when it's over. It's about getting you to hear something that you need to hear. This is why sensitivity, this is why love is so very important. You're not just trying to get something heard, something said, excuse me. You're trying to get something heard. You want the person to listen. How can I get her to listen to me? You see? If the person listens and confesses, Jesus says, confesses. That's what we want, baby, right there. I want a confession. I want my apology. Absolutely. I will happily forgive you when you dramatically apologize. No, the, the confession is to whom? The confession is to whom? Y'all are not participating in this one today, are you? If there's a sin involved, the sin's against God. The aim here is reconciliation to God. You understand? If the other person listens and confesses, then you've won back your brother. You've won back your sister. The apology goes to God because whenever there's sin, you understand the sin's against God and I'm not God. So if you've sinned, honestly, even if I'm hurt in that, the the sin is between you and God and my aim is to see that you're reconciled to God and that I remain reconciled to God. You understand the bottom line here? That These horizontal relationships are very, very important, but still, the most important relationship is the vertical one, the the one between myself and God, the one between you and, and God. Bottom line, if there are problems between us, it is not that we don't love each other enough. It is that we don't love Jesus enough. common North American porcupine is a member of the rodent family. He has approximately 30,000 spines, spikes on his back. Now, he can't throw them at an enemy, but if an enemy becomes close enough, those barbs get embedded in the skin of his enemy, and they dig deeper and deeper and can even cause death. A group of porcupines is called a prickle, but nobody's ever seen one because they're solitary animals for obvious reasons. But once a year, once a year, they long for love. They want to be together, but the porcupine's dilemma is that they cannot become close without hurting each other. That's our dilemma as well. But porcupines do an amazing thing. 
When they see another porcupine coming from a distance and they long for friendship, they stand up on their back paws and raise their front paws like this, and they expose their front. There are only two parts of a porcupine's body that doesn't have any spines. It's their, their belly and their nose. And so when another porcupine approaches, they will stand up on their back paws, and they will get close to each other and rub noses. We're not going to do it to they rub noses because there are no spines there. They rub noses and they patty cake. And they do a little dance that the biologists call the porcupine dance. Front to front, warm furry belly to warm furry belly. See, the porcupine's dilemma is figuring out a way to be close without stabbing one another. If the porcupines can do it, so can we. So can we. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we're not animals. We are men and women created in your image. And when we hurt each other, we can hurt each other deeply. And especially in the church. Especially when we have the same blood of Jesus coursing through our spiritual veins. Especially when we have the same Holy Spirit. Especially when we're called to love each other as Christ loves us. When we hurt each other, it's not like animals who harm one another, Lord. We, we manage to destroy one another's heart and soul. So Jesus, help us today, whether it is we who are angry or our sister or brother who is angry, teach us how to go, to go to that brother, to go to that sister and lovingly, humbly, reconcile. Help us, Lord Jesus, to confess our sins to you and to one another. Help us, Lord, to receive our forgiveness from you and then share that forgiveness with one another. Because of your great mercy and your great grace, O oh God, help us to be people of great mercy, abundant grace. Lord, we are not perfect. We are still sinners and we still hurt other every time we get close. But Lord, help us to see that it's worth it to get close. It's worth it, Lord, to begin to see one another's sin so that we can rescue one another and restore one another. Help us, Lord, to love each other enough that we might continue to stand face to face and heart to heart. Jesus, let it be so in this church and all churches that bear your name. We pray in that precious name. Amen.